Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. In brightest, in brightest day, day, in darkest, in darkest night, night, no evil shall escape my sight. sight. Let, Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green, Green Lantern's light. That's exciting. I've never done that before. Yeah, me either. Not with somebody except for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, the reason we're doing that is we it's here. The crossover of the year. The crossover of 2015. Exactly. Star Trek and Green Lantern together in one awesome story. Uh, I had my reservations about this, but so far, these first three issues, I'm really enjoying it. I am too, but I just have a little hesitation in the mixing of Star Trek, which is, you know, at least tries to be realistic. And the little more fantastical elements of uh, the Green Lantern world. Right. So that, that part, I'm, I'm a little, uh, but other than that, I'm enjoying it. Right. My only thing is that I, you know, because it is the Chris Pine version of Star Trek, uh-huh. I would have really liked for the, uh, you know, the Ryan Reynolds version of the Green Lantern oh. to have been more popular than it was so yeah. that we could actually see... Chris Pine and Ryan Reynolds' versions of the two characters together. Oh. Uh, because the movies came out fairly close together. Like, I think it was only a year apart be- between Star Trek and uh, Green Lantern. Actually, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, so, you got actors in the Star Trek thing, but you've got comic book versions of the Lantern world. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It would have like, been cool to have, uh, you know, the you could keep in mind which actor was who. Right. You know playing it in the movie and playing it here in the in the comic but huh. you don't get that it's it's a little a little off-putting but the story i think is really good so yeah i'm enjoying it well the big bad is quite bad and quite formidable which you need in a story that brings together so many great heroes exactly and actually there's two sets of big bads actually four sets of big bads if you really want to look at it Right, because, uh, well, we don't want to get into too much, but, uh, but yeah, not, not all lanterns could are necessarily good. You ain't kidding. Like, more or less an even number on each side. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Uh, yep. Balancing the, <laughs> the, the bad spectrum. force and the good force right. in the galaxy. Right, and not only that, because each lantern is a emotion. It's supposed to balance you. Which 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 of those emotions are you going to let control your life? Right. The evil ones or the good ones? Yeah. Now, Green Lantern was one of the first comic book heroes that I was really into when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. One of the first ones. Then I went beyond in Fantastic Four and then eventually Spider-Man. But there's a lot in the Green Lantern world as a kid I had no clue about. And maybe some of this stuff was cooked up over the years uh, after I had... I had I wasn't reading it that much anymore, right? But there's a lot of stuff in, in this whole Green Lantern thing, and I definitely don't remember being all these characters. They they built things up quite a bit over the years, right? Yeah. Well, once um, 
I think even, I mean, only within the last 15, 20 years have they really built up, you know, all the okay. other lanterns, okay. colors. Um, so, I mean, when you were reading it, it was still Hal Jordan, though, right? Oh, yeah. Still Hal uh, Jordan. I didn't think you went back far enough to be reading the Alan Scott ones. No. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> It's pretty cool. It's an interesting it's an interesting thought experiment, if nothing else. And what's at stake here is pretty big. Right. Pretty big indeed. Yeah, now I haven't read ahead, so I've only read these first three issues, but uh, I'm almost thinking that because of what they're doing to both the DC universe and the Star Trek universe, I'm I, I'm very concerned that you know, somebody's going to have their finger hovering over a reset button at some point and then uh, just click it at the, uh, issue six and be like, eh, none of this ever happened. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> Which is going to really make that. me mad. But come on, there's how do you back out of some of this stuff? <laughs> uh, I don't know. But if it's just a one-off thing that's just happening in this little corner of the media, you know, I guess it's okay. And besides, they rebooted the entire DC universe, right? They did. But so it was before this. Yeah, right. So I mean, so as far as the DC universe and Green Lantern, what they're doing now in the DC world, well, who cares about the traditional uh, Hal Jordan and everybody? They well, rebooted still, everything. Yeah, but it's still Hal Jordan and everybody. Yeah, right. the things they're bringing up in here, I, I, I'm, I'm really struggling as to figuring out where this fits into the Green Lantern continuity. Is yeah. it before the reboot or after? Because it's kind of like a hybrid between the two. Well, look at the costumes. They don't have the, they don't have the reboot costumes. They got traditional ones. Um, I thought they looked pretty much the same as the rebooted. Ones. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I, I thought I'll, I, I'll I thought go back I thought look. even Green Lantern had more of a collar to his uh, outfit. Uh, maybe. I'll have to go look. Okay. But well, anyways, he, doesn't, really doesn't matter. He, he has white gloves, right? Does the reboot one have white gloves? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think. I don't know. <laughs> okay, anyway, moving on. Yeah, so this is six issues, right? Of which uh, we're going to do number one. We'll do the first three today and the next three next week. There you go. So. All right, well, we're ready to move on to issue number one? Please. All right, this came out July of 2015. The uh, writer was Mike Johnson, art by Angel Hernandez, colors by Angelindro Sanchez, letters by Neil Yutaki. The edits are two-prong, IDW edits by Sarah Gatos, and the DC edits by Chim Chadwick. So there is a ton of covers for this, so uh, bear with me here. So cover A shows Kirk sitting in the command chair with Spock, McCoy, and Ahura standing around him. And then we see a ghastly image of a guardian above them. And then we also see Hal Jordan floating above them as well in his Green Lantern uniform. And at the top we see another ghostly image, but this of the Klingon Chang, who is the eyepatch-wearing Klingon from Star Trek VI. And he has a yellow power ring. So cover B shows the Green Lantern logo on a bed of stars, but there is the little image of a Starfleet swoosh where the stars are missing. So basically a big black Starfleet swoosh 
within the bed of stars. Looks kind of cool. And then we see a profile of the Enterprise zooming past uh, and through those two logos. Cover C has Al Jordan plus a sapphire orange and yellow core person flying towards the Enterprise in like a corkscrew rainbow pattern. Cover D is the same as cover A, with the exception that the Guardian and Chang are in black and white. The rest is in color. Cover E, same as cover A, but all black and white. And then there is a uh, San Diego Comic-Con exclusive that was painted by Joe Corini. The painting shows half of the Enterprise, Hal Jordan, Spock, and Kirk. Above them is a ghostly image of Chang. And then yet the last one, subscription cover Kirk and Hal Jordan standing in a fire. And above them is the face of a guardian and the Enterprise. Whew, lots of covers. All right, so the story starts off with some time that's just labeled as before. We don't know when, we don't know where. We see a lone guardian of the universe running unpowered on the planet of Mogo. Saying that he's unpowered because he's actually running and not floating. The planet is now a dead husk of a world and no longer the sentient living member of the Green Lantern Corps that we're used to. The guardian has six rings floating behind him. Orange, red, indigo, yellow, blue, and violet. And he is spoken to by a Black Lantern-powered person. We don't see him, we just see what the Black Lantern's saying to him. The unseen Black Lantern taunts the little blue alien, telling him that the Guardians have lost everything. The Guardian says perhaps not, and he uses the last of his will to teleport himself and the Six Rings away. The Black Lantern is outraged that he was so close to victory. In another time in universe, i.e. the... Star Trek movie universe, Kirk and Spock discover a newly found rogue planet. Spock, Kirk, security officer Zara, and another woman beam down to the planet in skin-tight spacesuits. They find the skeletal remains of a blue-skinned guardian. They find the skeletal remains of the blue-skinned guardian and the rings lying around him. Not knowing the meaning of this and how a living creature could end up on a planet like this, Kirk orders the body and the rings to be beamed up to the ship. In sickbay, McCoy scans the body and tells Kirk that it is a new species. Scotty and Kinzer are impressed with the rings, but they are unable to understand how they work and what exactly they can even do. Scotty gets permission to bathe them in tachyons to see if it has any effect. When he does, the rings start to glow. Back on the bridge, Kirk is informed that a Klingon ship has arrived. General Chang opens communication with the Enterprise and is pleased that he will be the one to kill Kirk. After all that the human has done to the Klingon people during the events of Star Trek Into Darkness. Kirk tells him that he never intended to harm the Klingon Empire, but Chang will have none of it. Back in engineering, the rings start to glow too bright and Scotty tries to stop the experiment. Too late. The case explodes and the rings fly on their own around the ship and even out of the ship. The energy explosion knocks the shields out. Chang sees his chance and he orders them to open fire. But a green shield suddenly snaps into place before any disruptor fire can hit the Enterprise. Several of the rings find hosts and call them by name. The yellow ring goes to Chang of Kronos. The blue ring to Chekhov of Earth. The pink ring to Ahura of Earth, and purple to McCoy of Earth. 
The other rings fly far away from the Enterprise to places unknown. The Chosen People are engulfed in the light of the ring. As Spock and Kirk watch in fascination, they are contacted by Hal Jordan, who has been powering the ships with his own ring. He tells the captain that he likes his ship, and he wants to know why his friend's skeleton is on board. To be continued. There he is. Setup issue. And we ended off with the lantern, green lantern, coming into the picture. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Okay, so we see some of the rings going to specific people and choosing people. Now, the basis on which the ring chooses people, each ring is aligned with a light, and each light is aligned with an emotion. And, of course, it's all supposed to be outer space police force, basically. And apparently the flip side of that, outer space criminals, or whatever you like to call them, that these rings align themselves with. But what's the selection criteria, Donovan? What's the selection criteria? Does anybody know? Why Chekhov? Why McCoy? Why Uhura? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing with Hal Jordan, he got the ring because he was fearless, right? Okay. So, uh, and, and, but, uh, I mean, I don't know why the other ones really got picked. Okay, but green... Okay, what's the green color supposed to be? Willpower. Willpower. That's not an emotion. It's not. And that's why it's supposedly it's the strongest of all of them. But okay. again, that's just okay. made up. It's cool. just, it's well, all I, I know it's made up. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I really believe, I know it's made up. But, okay. But yeah, so supposedly the Guardians knew of all these other powers. And in order to keep them all in check, they created the Green Lantern Force to police them all. But then okay. over the years, like I said, especially within the last 15 years or so, that's kind of changed with the addition of all the other. You know, because for the longest time, there was two lanterns, the Green right. Lantern and the Yellow Lantern. And then also they kind of brought in the Star Sapphire, the, the Indigo Lantern, Well, who was the, okay. the love one. But she was always a bad guy. So I always thought that was weird that are you saying that love is bad? I mean, because if you... Follow your heart. You're going to become a, a, a villain. I was always confused on that. Okay. Could, could we come back to this discussion after we see the rest of right. the ring assignments? Uh, sure. We, we got a bunch of rings, and we haven't seen where they all went. But after yeah. they all go to people, I'd like to come back to this. <laughs> all right. Okay. okay. So that's like issue three. Just, But we'll get to it in this episode. We get it next issue, don't we? Okay. Well, whatever. Let's wh- <laughs> whenever Whenever we get to all of them. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So, I do want to know who fixed the whole breaches when the, the rings bounced out of the ship. Well, oh, okay. So, so did it actually show whole breaches? Because, um, okay, so this is where the fantastical world of the Green Lantern is is a little bit much for me, mixing it in with the semi, or at least, well, more realistic anyway, Star Trek world. So... Hal Jordan just comes in through the hull. He comes well, through he the shields. He will in the next issue. Okay. He teleports. He's himself. going to do that. Right. Okay. And did when the rings left, did they actually show it going through holes? It showed him go through walls, but it doesn't show if they beam through the walls or if they just broke through. Okay, yeah. Okay. And, then, and then there is a shot of the Enterprise with three of the rings, the yellow, red, and orange, sure. leaving it. So I don't know if it's supposed to have beamed out of the ship themselves or if they um, really just poked little holes through. Well, you could call it beaming, but I call it lantern magic. So 
so it, it's hard to tell that it actually busts through the hull. I think it's more because more of this kind of sh- stuff's going to go on in the, these issues. They just are magically able to jump through metal. So I, I don't know that they were hull breaches. But okay. I don't know. I, I think that's one of those things they just don't really worry about too much. Right. Yeah, now... <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, how the Green Lantern flies faster than light is that they can actually not necessarily go to warp speed, but they can actually create little wormholes that, that move them from oh, really? point A to point B. So that's how Hal can get from Earth to Oa so quick. Okay, because there's uh, a spot eventually where Green Lantern and, and the Enterprise are going to have to go someplace fast. And, you know, he's going at warp speed, at least. Right. Or, or maybe he's jumping, like you're saying. I don't know. I don't know. You you might have read ahead, so I don't know what, you, what you're talking about. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Okay. Um. Anyway, so, yeah, that's... So you have more background with the more recent comic books, so you have better explanations for what's going on than I do. Right. This one, I'm by no this... means an expert. I just want to okay. throw that out there. Okay. <laughs> I, I've... Be- I, I, I've read a little bit, not not a ton. Okay, because there's a lot of Green Lantern-y stuff going on that they don't explain that much. Right. But, of course, there's enough going on Green Lantern-y kind of stuff. You kind of have to explain, and at least they are. So they are to some degree explaining the whole emotion and the, how they're aligned to colors and the rings and blah, blah, blah. So at, at least they're explaining some of it, which is helpful for me, who is not as up on the recent... Uh, developments in Lanternville. So do you think they're doing a, a, a better or worse job than they did with the Planet of the Apes crossover? Um, oh, explaining? We, as, as far as explaining both universes so that uh, someone who was only a fan of one oh, or the other I would still you. follow what's going on. Wow. Better. Um, I think they're doing a decent job here. Um, but really, if you didn't have any experience with Green Lantern, um, I would see that maybe you might be a little confused. Or maybe you might take a couple reads. I think they do an an okay job of explaining things. But some of this stuff you just got to go with. Because it's pretty kind of fantastical, quite frankly. Yeah, and I was thinking thinking the same thing. Uh, I was thinking they're explaining the Green Lantern universe better than they're explaining the Star Trek universe. It seems like the Star Trek universe is literally just we're taking the you know the the basic template of what star trek is you know what hopefully everybody has learned at some point in the last 50 years and just using that so there's not a lot of callbacks to anything else star trekky in this it's just like this is the most vanilla version of star trek um, i think we've read in a long time yeah well um maybe they figure and i think probably appropriately that Star Trek has a bigger reach than Green Lantern. So they probably have to spend more time explaining Green Lantern. And and quite frankly, if you're going to be a a reader of Green Lantern, odds are you're the kind of person that probably has some passing familiarity with Star Trek. Right. So it probably isn't that necessary. Um, If you had a Star Trek opera, maybe... Maybe that kind of audience needs a little bit more background, but probably <clears throat> Green Lantern readers probably not. Well, in the in the Planet of the Apes thing, they did a lot of, you know, 
explaining where everybody came from. Yeah. Where they're not really doing that here. They're explaining what the rings are, but aside from that, aside from that, the Star Trek's getting no explanation at all. It's like, no. you, you better already know what Star Trek is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, it really is kind of like almost six issues within ongoing. Um, right. So you would expect if people are reading the ongoing comics that, well, you we don't have to explain the Federation every issue. So, uh, but but it isn't. This is a standalone comic uh, or set of comics. Right. Yeah, so you think that, uh, I mean, who do you think this story was marketed to? Star Trek fans or the Green Lantern fans or, or both? Because you, could you see if you were a Green Lantern fan, not a Star Trek fan, would you have picked this up? Oh, well, hell yeah, I would have picked this up. Okay. But wouldn't you? Of course, you're both, I, and I'm I love, both, so I love we're, maybe we're not the best people stuff, to ask. So I, I would have, just because I love anything that's a crossover. I don't yeah. know why, but that's a real soft spot for me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go on a limb and say 99% of people that like Green Lantern... You know, probably like Star Trek. Right. Yeah, unless they're Star Wars fans that feel compelled to hate Star Trek somehow. Um, so yeah, I think they probably would. Anyway. Yeah, so... Uh, okay, so I found it interesting. Cause every time we do one of these crossovers, you've got two different worlds that are brought together somehow. So you always got to ask yourself... Well, Planet of the Apes and Star Trek, how can they come together? They're mutually exclusive futures. And here, too, how do they come together? And so interdimensional travel is the answer, which tends to be the answer in many cases these days on these crossovers, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's I mean, kind of always been the case, though. Oh, oh, they always use different dimensions as the explanation for the crossover? Right. Yeah, I mean, even way back when, when... Even back when DC was crossing over with itself, it was always two different dimensions. So oh, like you okay. know, the Justice League can team up with the Justice Society because it's two different dimensions. You know, oh, okay. and then then when Marvel and DC started crossing over with Spider Man and Superman, eh, they're two different dimensions. We're not going to oh, really actually how said dimensions. Over. Okay. Well, they basically say that they're heroes in their own worlds, right? So they did they, they explain how they crossed over? No, they don't. They didn't have to. Sixties. 70s. Okay, well, were they you don't really have to explain anything? In okay, so it wasn't. It <laughs> they weren't talking about the multiverse back then necessarily. They uh, were just saying, "Ping, they're in the same place." Right. Okay, so it's gotten a little bit more sophisticated in, over the years, and now all the explanation is the multiverse. Anything can happen. Infinite number of universes. Infinite number of things can happen. Blah, 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 and that explains everything. Okay. Well, the multiverse has been around since the 60s, so, I mean, so... Well, I never heard of it. So that that was in DC World? Yeah, that was Because I don't remember much of that happening in DC Land. Oh, man, tons of it. Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, the... I don't remember any of that in Marvel, but... In Marvel or DC? Marvel. Marvel, I think, might have picked it up later. They They now just did their big reboot of merging all their continuities but right yeah they their thing was like the normal earth that the normal spider-man was on it was earth 616 or some random number and then there was all these other infinite earths out there that had different heroes and different spider-man and different uh stuff but they just went through their big secret wars thing which uh consolidated their universes okay good stuff right yeah, anyways, well, I've, I've we got some of those. Let's let's get back to this. We're in the weeds. Yeah, but anyways, I I just 
I'm liking this story. Um, I just think that uh, they're, like I said, it seems like a very generic uh, Star Trek story. Yeah. Well, yes. Okay. But very quickly, very quickly, this is Green Lantern's story. Because really, the protagonist here is coming from the Lantern's universe. Mm -hmm. Many of the characters we've never seen before. Many, but not all, because we do have a, a Klingon and a Romulan and a Gorn. Many of the characters that are really driving the story is all from Lanternville. Right. Um, and and oh, yeah. at least so far, the Star Trek characters are quite reactionary. It's like all this stuff is happening, and they're kind of reacting to it. And learning and adapting, especially the people that got the rings. Although I got to say, Chekhov's actually doing something, or going to be doing something with it quicker than the others. Right. Anyway, yeah, we'll talk so, about that next, next issue. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, so it's a good point that you pointed out that that the uh, Star Trek people really are just along for the ride. Exactly, at least all the so conflict far. and all the you know the whole setup and the conflict and the bad guys are all lantern based, right? And quite frankly, they're the ones with all the power. I mean, you got you got all the power really is centered on starships in the Star Trek universe. You got ships that have shields, and they have phasers and photon torpedoes, and you got some high tech stuff going on. And but with this whole lantern thing, it's like, ooh, they got these power rings, and they can do anything almost uh, as long as their will is strong enough or whatever. And um, I don't know. To some degree, it's like the Star Trek folks are like, okay, <laughs> right. we're just here. You know, not not really playing a very proactive role so far, but let, let's see what happens. Right. All right. Um, my last one is I, I really liked seeing a uh, updated version of Chang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like Christopher Plummer, the actor, but I could totally see this as being the way Chang would be depicted in the new movie. Right. And it's very cool that they chose Chang because uh, there have been many Klingon protagonists. Or antagonists. And um, Chang was just one of a bunch of them. So I, I thought he was really cool with his eye patch that is like bolted into his head. And he was always spouting off about uh, Shakespeare and whatever. He seemed like a very smart, not as much on the emotional side, but a very smart Klingon, dangerous Klingon. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm happy to see him back. But do you think they're keeping true with the, you know, the well-read and, and intelligent Klingon um, here. No, he, not so far. A lot of times he seems more like the, the you know, almost the well, Reverend Jim Klingon. <laughs> what was his name? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm going to kill you because your name is Kirk. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like, I don't, I mean, Chang was always so eloquent and, you know, soft-spoken, even though he was, you know, yeah, a, a, a formidable villain, but uh, yeah, and so far we've heard no uh, Shakespeare quotes, right? In its original Klingon, <laughs> and I did think it was also an odd choice, just because Chang is the very last Klingon we ever see Kirk fighting. Yeah, in and the movies, they've right. been keeping with all the original series characters so far in the the ongoing books. So it right. was a little odd that they jumped uh, to to someone that that really didn't play a part in the Kirk's life until much, much later. Right. But it's like they got the whole 
Star Trek universe to pick from. So, whatever. Right. They can do anything they want. It's just that are all their choices right? Right. Or the best choices. Visually, I, I think I, I like seeing them. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Ganthat. And by the yep. way, I keep on having problems getting his name right. Uh, so, Ganthat. So Did they actually call him that in this book? Oh, yeah. I didn't think they did. Oh, oh really? But they do in the next book, so... I well, I think the first page calls him Ganthat. Doesn't mm, it? Maybe not. Where the Black Lantern is talking to him? I think they just call him Little Man. Oh, no, you're right, Ganthat. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so he's got these uh, six power rings... And I, at first, I kind of thought the power rings were chasing him. And then it's like, oh, it's his power rings. They're just following along like, like dogs or something. Okay, that's fine. Right. And then you got – and by the way, I didn't even know it was a black black lantern. Uh, I just thought it was Necron. Is, wasn't Necron doing that? No? Well, okay. but we don't know that yet. Okay. But he is the black lantern. Oh, Necron is a black lantern. Mm-hmm. The black lantern. The black lantern. Okay, okay, okay. Because they never – I don't – in every issue I've read so far – I don't remember them ever referring to him as a Black Lantern, or even using the term Black Lantern. But okay, fine. Oh, well, since I haven't read ahead, I don't know. I'm just going well. On. I'm I'm talking about even the first three issues. I don't remember it. Okay, so I read to the fourth issue. Okay, the fifth issue. But I'm not going to mention anything. I'm not going to mention anything. I will try not right. to anyway. So anyway, so, okay, he's so being chased. He's he, he's he's got he's being chased by a by a Black Lantern, probably Necron. I figure, but you don't know that yet. In the story. So he's running along, and he's able to pull out his ace in the hole and somehow transport away. I thought he took with him uh, the planet Mogo, which is where he's on. So the, the whole story starts out, the planet Mogo, before. And um, so he's running along, and I thought he took everything. And then that is the mystery rogue planet that's, you know, that... that that Kirk and Spock find. Right. That would that, that makes total sense. Um, when I read it, I just thought that he teleported to this rogue planet, but that right. doesn't explain why there is a rogue planet just floating around in, in the middle of space. So, yeah. And, uh, and, I, no, and I suppose there, there, there probably are rogue planets that just – and by the way, there's a difference between rogue planets apparently and other kinds of planets that are not in a solar system. So anyway, the, the yeah. main point is – Orphan planet. Okay, so there's right. Okay, so but they also mentioned rogue planets. So an orphan planet yeah. is one that at one point was around a star and somehow got out of that orbit and is on their own. And a rogue planet supposedly never was around a, a, a in a solar system. Which, quite frankly, how could you know that? Yeah, but whatever. How, how did it get formed? Ah, good question. Anyway, so the main thing is. That would explain where the where the rogue planet came from. Um, it would, but I suppose you're right. It could just be when Ganth had got into our our dimension, he was able to magically find a planet and jump on that one. So right. who knows? Yeah, he had star charts, and he is like, oh, <laughs> there's a, uh... yeah, exactly. I mean, when you think about the real logic of this, it's like, okay, I'm coming across from a totally different dimension. And where am I going to land? So, I don't know. Yeah, no, it makes total sense that uh, that he brought over Bogo as well, even yeah. though it doesn't say that. But when when you mentioned that, I was just like, oh my goodness, that does explain the whole rogue orphan planet Thank debate. You. Okay, is planet Mogo known in the, in the Lantern universe? Yes. Okay. 
Because it looks like a desolate rock. Well, I think he's dead. He's oh, the planet's dead. What? Right at this point, I think the planet is dead. Okay, so is Planet Mogo the actual home of the Guardians? No, Oa is the home of the Guardians. Oh, okay, okay, but Mogo, Mogo is, is no. literally a Green Lantern who just happens to be a planet. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Let me it's, just wrap my head around that. It's okay, the, it's the most ridiculous thing. I think Green Lantern's ever. Well, but more ridiculous than the squirrel that's a Green Lantern? Chip? Yes, of course. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, so for those of you that may not know, there actually is a Green Lantern that kind of looks like a squirrel. Yes. And And just like in the Marvel Universe, there's a Guardian of the Galaxy who just happens to look like a raccoon. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Hey, I'm not. Pointing at another franchise is ridiculousness does not evade the ridiculousness of of, of the lantern chip squirrel. Uh, right. Well, I mean, he, he was created when there was uh, when there was a big push to have uh, animal friends for all the Green Lantern or all the characters and and the species that just happens to look like squirrels was what the Green Lantern got. But wow, he, he right. looks just like anybody else on that planet. Okay, okay. Well, he's quite dashing, actually. I, I, I'm sure he is. Okay. <laughs> so yes. can I ask something? Sure. The first things that – the first interaction between Kirk and Spock, you know, Spock is, is like, cool and scientific and, like, hey, it's a uh, – you know, it's a it's – a... okay, so Kirk says, it's a big rock. And then Spock is like, actually, it's an orphan planet, Captain. It would be more appropriate. And then it's like – I just got I just this whole I just got smacked with the idea of how sometimes in the reboot Kirk is kind of painted as a big dumb jock. And right. it's like no, Kirk was a really smart guy. Um well well read uh you know in Taz. Uh and yeah, he could mix it up and and do the physical stuff too, but he was a very uh, well-read guy who actually did pretty good with uh, three-dimensional chess and stuff. And I just sometimes the reboot Kirk just comes off as kind of a little bit too much in every man, uh, and just comes off kind of dumb. Well, he he has to set up all these jokes. I mean, that's that's supposed to be funny, right? So I mean, and and I think that's what you know the movies were all about. There was a lot of comedies in 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 the in the newer movies, and and he was the, I don't know, I want to say the butt of the joke. I mean, he was, he was kind of the one that sets up the joke, and then Spock or whoever would, you know, so finish he's it. so he's the straight man. Kirk is the straight man to all the comedians on the on the crew. You think so? I, I don't know. It's well, almost like he's the, he's. It's almost like everybody else is the straight man. I mean, he's well, the one that was calling him cupcake, and he's the one that was. You know, getting his nose broken and having oh, some okay. wise ass thing to say. Okay, about so you're that. saying other characters are setting it up for the Kirk punchline, right? Okay. Or, or him saying something ridiculous is the punchline because they're going to correct him by giving the oh, okay, real explanation. Well, that's definitely I don't know. What it's here. just you're right. It's a completely different dynamic than what the the old Kirk would have done. Yeah, I mean, but it, this is very in, in, yeah, it's very in line with what the movies are, and I guess what we're supposed to think of as Kirk from now on. Yeah. 
Okay, that's fine. I agree. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the other end of the spectrum is, is TNG's Technobabble, which is a little bit, I don't know, sometimes a little bit too far into the, hey, let's give our audience some credit for having some brains. But um, I don't know. I think sometimes they've dumbed down the reboot universe a little too much. But uh, that's the way J.J. wants it. Okay. And, and uh, you know, maybe he brought it on over to Star Wars, too. Just saying. <laughs> Well, Star Wars was never as, um, what's the right word? It uh, w- w- was never as much into the uh, really deep thought kind of stuff. I don't think. Well, they never went through the whole explaining everything. Yeah. You know, right. They never explained what the Force was. Oh, wait, they did. Thank you. Ah, Metachlorians. <laughs> But anyways, no. There's another thing they pieces. got rid of, and they and and they they ex- they eventually explained what stormtroopers are, clones. Oh no no no, not anymore. Well, now there are people that are taken right. from places when they're children and then raised to be stormtroopers. Oh okay, right. Anyway, I don't see where you where where you were getting lost on that one. That one just seems obvious, no brainer. <laughs> But no, okay. in, in the in the new movies, the new Star Trek movies, I definitely saw more of Han Solo and Kirk uh, than William Shatner. I mean, he was always, you know, he always seemed to have little one-liners about everything, right? Yeah. And yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember I, I, I went and saw In the Darkness with a, a friend of mine who knew who knew what Star Trek was, but just bare bones. She didn't. Right know anything and right. then when we walked out she's like are they always that funny <laughs> like, they, they usually have a little bit of comedy but no they definitely amped it up for these new ones she's like well if they were all that funny i'd probably watch them all and i'm like <laughs> and that's that's when it hit home why why they were doing it yeah to well, get her to go buy a ticket yeah <laughs> exactly right and, and why kirk isn't always as smart in what he's doing uh, or at least not scientific smart, because they want him to be more um, relatable. Maybe. Right. I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, okay, nice setup. I'm ready for number two. What about you? I am ready. Great. Okay, so I'm doing number two. Spectrum War Part 2, published date, actually, August 2015. Creative team, Mike Johnson. I think it's all the same. It's all the same people. Yep, everybody's saying. Uh, okay, so cover A presents Green Lantern and Kirk toe-to-toe and ready to rumble. Kirk is about to grab Lantern's right wrist, which leads to his, right, his ring hand. Carol Ferris, the queen of the Sapphire Corps, is further back in the scene, watching the two boys ready to come to blows. Her back is up against some kind of a stone tower that has many chunks out of it. Looks very old. The style of the artwork is not a favorite of mine, I must say. Paul Pope created the cover. Cover B presents Kirk, Spock, Scotty, Kinzer, Green Lantern, and three more lanterns all facing the reader with guns and rings drawn and ready to take on the threat that's right in front of them. Okay, so this style, this drawing style I like a lot better than cover A. Dick Robertson uh, did this cover. Cover Sub, the sub cover, presents... The evil lantern Sinestro, with his yellow ring glowing and floating above his open hand. 
Four Klingons are behind him, looking intently at the power of the glowing ring. Gary Brown did this cover. The ancient Klingon proverb, fear is power, starts the issue. I kind of like the other proverb better. Revenge is a dish best served cold, but whatever. Fear is power is the one used here. Kang is glowing yellow after the yellow power ring slid onto his finger. He lifts out of his chair and leaves the bridge at warp speed, saying, Vikos! Outside both ships, Green Lantern is bathing the Enterprise green with his protective power. He tells Kirk he will protect the ship until they can get their own power systems back up. But Hal tells Kirk he will want to know why his friend Skeleton is on board. Kirk tells his green glowing benefactor he appreciates the help, but he is dealing with problems of his own right now. Kirk and Spock are trying to help Uhura and Chekhov, who are both glowing and levitating off the floor of the ship. They say they feel fine, but they are a little freaked out. Chekhov settled down a bit and says he feels like he can do anything and shoots a beam of indigo blue light out of the ring that is slid onto his finger. It leaves the interior of the ship and begins to envelop the hull of the Enterprise, replacing the green glow. Green Lantern recognizes it as another new ring bearer. First yellow, and now indigo blue. Now that the ship does not need his protection, he turns his attention to the yellow ring bearer, who has conjured a Klingon beast called a Mictovar. It's uh, huge and yellow. Before he engages the yellow ring bearer, he wonders where the red and orange rings went. Meanwhile, on the planet Gonar, far away from the Enterprise's location, the son of the current Gorn Hegemon is making plans to kill his father and seize power. The red ring slips onto this beast of a being and says the words, Glacon of Gonar, you are chosen. Glacon begins glowing red with his newfound power. Back on the Enterprise, Chang is fighting and winning against Green Lantern. Hal figures the energy he expended tracking Ganthet to this distance location has left him weakened. Kirk recognizes their new friend needs help and calls for photon torpedoes. Chekhov reports they don't have weapons back yet, so he improvises. Indigo blue spheres of energy start emitting from the ship and hit the Maktovar dead center. Chang is foiled for the moment, which gives Hal the opportunity to hit him in the back with a green bolt of energy from his ring. Kirk gets Chekhov to use his ring energy to get the warp drive working. They leave the area and Kirk invites Hal to join them. They have many questions for each other. Chang looks at them departing and calls them cowards. Meanwhile on Romulus, the full Senate is in session. Praetor Decius is addressing them and calling for renewed expansion of the Empire. He calls for exploitation of planets and resources beyond their current border before competing powers such as the Federation and their exploratory programs take them first. A senator stands and questions the nobility of the Praetor's intent if the word exploit figures so prominently into his argument. The Praetor responds, saying if the Senate will not grant him the powers he needs to ensure the security of the Romulan Empire, he will be forced to... 
An orange streak enters the large building and comes to rest on the Praetor's right hand. A voice rings out, Decius of Romulus, you are chosen. A very powerful and angry-looking supercharged Praetor begins to ascend over the august governing body. Meanwhile, outside the Enterprise, the Green Lantern senses the orange ring has chosen a bearer. Lantern asks to come aboard, the Enterprise, but says, either way, he's coming in. Kirk grants him access, and the Lantern appears before them on the bridge hovering above the deck. Hal formally introduces himself and asks Kirk if his ship is part of some secret NASA program. Kirk says he is with Starfleet and asks, what's a Green Lantern? Hal asks, what's Starfleet? And why is Ganthet's skeleton aboard your ship? Kirk explains they found him on the rock with nothing but those rings next to him, which, by the way, wreaked havoc on his ship. Scotty, is Scotty okay? Kirk wonders. McCoy floats onto the bridge, saying Scotty is fine, then asks if someone can wake him up from his nightmare. Cut to Kronos, where Kang is busy killing the Klingon ruling council and taking over the Empire. He says his rule is absolute, and constructs a yellow throne that begins to lift him high above the dead bodies of the ruling council. Suddenly, the construct comes apart, and Kang crashes to the ground. Confused, Kang turns up to see Sinestro. Sinestro says he caused Kang's construct construct to collapse. As long as Kang wears that ring, it's Sinestro that will be giving the orders. To be continued. Interesting. Now we see where the other lanterns went to. Exactly. Yes. So, now we have all... So all six rings are accounted for now, right? Right. Yeah, we were only missing the uh, the last two. Right. So three good people and three bad people. Right. So what would you think about the Gorn? I was happy to see that they got one. Me too. You knew that a Romulan and Klingon, or at least one of the two, would be in a story like this. But the fact that they chose Gorn to be the third was pretty good. I like right. that. So they've used Gorn a few times in the ongoing series of comics, and they've reworked them a bit. So they're pretty formidable, period, physically. Right. And now, <laughs> they got a ring. It's like, ooh. And the, what, the ring of rage? Is, is red rage? Red is rage, yep. Okay. So that's a pretty appropriate assignment, quite frankly. Yeah, no, I thought it was awesome. And, uh, I mean, my only complaint was that I thought the Gorn's clothing was a little more than they were wearing in the video game and in the previous books, but... right. But when he was wearing the Red Lantern uniform, I liked it a lot. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but the Orange Lantern surprised me. I mean, he's actually the the Praetor of, of Romulus. Right. Or, right. That that one kind of surprised me. Okay, so what's okay, so now we've got everybody, so let's talk about the colors a little bit. We talked I wanted to come back to this, so Okay. Okay, so what emotion is orange? Greed. Ah, greed. Interesting. I did not know that. Right. So, and I might be wrong, but for the longest time, there was only one green orange lantern in the DC universe because he was too greedy to give it up to anybody else. He ah. like, collected all the all the green, orange power for himself. Oh, interesting. And, 
Okay, so that makes so much sense. Because, of course, everything that the Praetor is talking about is, you know, we got to expand. We got to get more. Right. Uh, you know, we can't stagnate. Well, that, that's a very nice alignment with greed. Hmm. Okay, so what, yellow is fear, right? Fear, right. Okay. And so that so, makes sense course, for that's the Klingon sinister. to have that, yeah. Yeah, I guess it does, doesn't it? Um, but again, I think it would have been better if it was the, you know, Christopher Lloyd Klingon, because he was the one that was all about striking fear on everybody. He wanted the Genesis device, and he, uh, he, he seemed like he was more about, you know, striking fear into people than, than Chang was, because Chang was all, like, manipulating everything behind the scenes, too. Yeah. You know, he was more of a... Uh, you know, uh, an architect of evil design as opposed to being, a, you know, the, the front man for it. Right, right. But I guess he was just the closest one. Well, and, and some of these assignments are interesting. So let's talk about the good people assignment, shall we? Sure. So Violet, you said before, was love. Oh, compassion? Uh, oh, 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 Violet, love. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Violet is love and that went to Uhura. Okay, she's the girl. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Although it's a little sexist. <laughs> but she's but whatever. in love with Spock. Well, I... I yeah, I guess you can't say – well, you can't really come out and say that Spock's in love with her, but he probably is, even right. though he won't admit it. Right. Um, okay, so the blue and the purple. I'm a little confused about that. Okay, so indigo, blue indigo is Chekhov. Right. And that's compassion? Or is that – No, that's hope. Blue that's is hope. hope. Blue right. is hope. Okay. Uh, okay. Um – Okay, so that's one of those weak assignments. It's like, okay, let's go ahead and assign all the colors that make sense, and then what do we got left? Uh, okay, so who do we want to give it to? Okay, how about Chekhov? I don't find Chekhov to be overly more hopeful than other people. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and it's odd because the, in, the, in the comics, hope is never really used on its own. But when you added hope to any of the other Lantern's powers – they became, you know, much, much more powerful. So oh, okay. cool. a green lantern that had the power of the, you know, the, re- the, the blue lanterns were, you know, super powerful. Okay. And, and the, and the blue lanterns were almost like monks or whatever. They just, you know, stayed to themselves and, uh, you know, kind of did their own thing. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound like Chekhov to me. And, no, it doesn't. And we saw that he was able to, Add his power to the ship, kind of, to be able to send out something kind of sort of like photon torpedo constructs. So does that make sense? Nope. Okay. Yeah, I was a little confused on that one, too. Okay. Um, Okay, so Purple Compassion, McCoy is a healer. Okay, that makes sense. But he's the grumpiest healer you ever know. When I was reading this, I was like... You know, I know that he's the great, a great doctor. But right. Oftentimes, I feel like he's also this, you know, cantankerous old man that's just doing it because that's what he does, not necessarily <laughs> because he really. Oh no, he cares about his patients. Come does. on, I know he does. He just doesn't come across that way often. So. When when they're in the middle of all the thing they're doing in Star Trek Four, and he stops to give the lady the pill, the magic pill that regrows her pancreas kidneys. or whatever it was, kidneys. kidneys was it kidneys? Yeah. And by the way, how does she know her kidneys regrew? All she knows she is she feels them. better. Well, you can't I feel your kidney. 
Okay, so she's a doctor that knows that. Uh, whatever. But the main point is, obviously, he is a... Or, or how about another one where, sitting on the edge of forever, where he's practically crying over the idea of the barbaric age he finds himself in, where people are using sutures and... Right. Uh, to, no, to, no. to sew people together like garments. That's medical. That's medicine. So, yeah, come on. Yeah, no, I know. I know he cares for people. Just like, sometimes he just comes across as a little bitter yeah oh yeah well he does you know because all he had left was his name <sighs> his bones oh his bones that's right after after all after <laughs> after all the divorce proceedings all he had left was his bones so what do you think of their uniform the whole hybrid between starfleet and the lantern well all i gotta say is those lantern rings are pretty nice designers it's, it's like ridiculous it's like, why have anything with Starfleet in it? Why have the Starfleet swooch? I mean, that's fine. They did it, you know, that they merged that thing because they're giving a little service to both uh, flavors of fans. That's fine, but it's like, you're a lantern now. Ping. You know, here, here, here's the symbol on your chest and go home. Right. I mean, they did it with Chang, too. He has yeah. the, the Klingon symbol over okay. or underneath his yeah. yellow lantern. So same kind of thing. Right. Well, why merge them? You're, you're a lantern now. Because this is a crossover, and you have to even cross over into the uniforms. And that's fine. It's just it, – <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it's as necessary. But no, I, I agree, but it looks cool. Well, it looks cool. It's a nice design. So those rings are really good at – well, they're supposed to be amazing computers, right? Right. So good design sense. Right. So it got me to wondering, are they still wearing their normal clothes, or are they just wearing ring constructs? Because Ahura is still wearing the little mini skirt, but now it looks like she she has leggings underneath or whatever. Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, definitely Deadpool thinks it's an animated costume, but well, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, I thought they looked cool, but yeah. I agree with you. They don't really make sense in the if you go strictly. Green Lantern universe. Nobody else keeps their logos from their home worlds. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, Sinestro, great. Okay, he's the ultimate bad guy, or traditional bad guy um, in the Green Lantern verse. So that's great that he's back. Um, I've never heard of Atrocitus. Atrocitus? Atrocitus. Yeah. Okay. So I've never heard of him. And eventually we're going to see another guy, uh, Larflees. Yep. And never heard of those guys at all. But uh, I'm glad to see at least Sinestro's there. I know him. Right. Well, he is he is the red, Yellow Lantern. Right. And if you weren't a Green Lantern watcher, that wouldn't mean anything to you. But... I'm just saying, he's, he's the – anytime you think of a, a Yellow Lantern, it's always him. Yeah, yeah. And he is probably – isn't he basically the Moriarty of of the Green Lantern verse? I mean he's the guy that comes up most often. I mean he's the right. the ultimate um, opposite number. Right. And he was the – you know, he, he's the whole – he was our greatest pupil and then he's turned to the dark side. So – Oh, so – He was a Green so Lantern. So he's Anakin he, Skywalker. Yeah, he's Anakin Skywalker. He was the greatest of the Green Lanterns and then he turned to evil. And then he originally he was just the only Yellow Lantern, 
Um, and then over time, he gave Yellow Lanterns to other people, and they became what they called the Sinestro Corps. So uh, there is not a Yellow Lantern Corps. It's it's called the Sinestro Corps. Because uh, uh. he's that strong, he's that... Ugh. Cool. Okay, right. so Carol Ferris. Yeah. So never heard of her. Um, love she's her costume. No, she, she she's... This one? Okay, hold on. The movie. So you're talking about the... Um, the ill-fated, unfortunate uh, Green Lantern movie that came out five years ago or whatever it was. All right, so she's on the cover. Is she actually in this issue? Uh, Maybe we should hold oh, up. Oh, sorry. Okay, I guess we can, we can hold up back on that. But she is on the cover. Oh, yeah, she's definitely on the cover. Which they tend to do that. They tend to introduce new people to covers before they actually show up in the book. <laughs> the issue before they show up, yes. Exactly. So... Okay, well, we'll talk about her more, but the... But yeah, she was, uh, she was Hal Jordan's girlfriend in, uh, in the Green Lantern movie. Okay. Well, I remember when... Because we saw that movie. Yeah. And I remember you saying something about, oh, yeah, she's going to become a lantern and blah, 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 blah. I turned off at that point. <laughs> um, but now I'm seeing her. Okay, cool. Yes, she has a very interesting costume. She has a great costume. We'll talk about that later, I suppose. All right. All right, so we did kind of mention in this one, Hal Jordan definitely teleports himself from outside of the ship into the bridge. Uh-huh. And back out again. Right. So this is where he says, oh, I'll do it. And then he just beams himself in. Well, he didn't say beaming. Well, no. But... So Kirk was going to beam him in or make arrangements to beam him in, but he just came in on his own. Now, whether that's, quote, beaming technology or some kind of uh, lantern magic. Don't uh, call knows? it magic. Oh, come on. It's science. It's science. lantern science. Well, I guess any technology sufficiently advanced will appear to be magic. Exactly. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I'm not used to him being able to teleport himself. That, that was kind of new to me. And, and again, I'm by no means a Green Lantern expert. But uh, I, I was not—I was not aware that that was one of his powers. Right. Well, I mean, Ganthet doing it in the first one seemed like you know that was a big deal. He, he teleported himself to another universe, but uh, I, I could buy that one. But yeah, just but he's a guardian. Hal Jordan right? doing it just willy nilly. Yeah. Well, the guardians are a whole step above lanterns, right? Right. They're the bosses. They're the guardians of the universe. Exactly. The whole universe. Yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to comment to say I really like the artwork, high-quality stuff. Coloring is great. Everything is nice and shiny and pretty. Lots of eye candy. I love the artwork. Yeah, especially when they use the lantern stuff. It really pops. It does. And I got to say, the only thing I don't like so far, which I mentioned at the beginning of my synopsis, is the style of the second issue's cover. Uh, which cover? There was when there more than one. Oh, the main one. So what? A. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that one either. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know who who did this one. Um. Oh, it's um. Hold on, I I mentioned it. Cover a Paul Pope. Paul Pope. Paul Pope, yes. He did a uh, series. I, I think he did a Star Trek series, too, not too well, long ago. Did, well, didn't he? Did he do that uh, Deep Space Nine one? 
That's what it was. Yes. That I just couldn't get over how how much I didn't like it. That was it. Yep. Yeah. So I'm not going to say it's bad because there is no good or bad. I just right. that I just don't like the not style. Not the style you like. Right. Exactly. Right. I agree. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that's it for me. All right, then. Nothing more to say. Nothing more for you. I also have nothing. So let's jump into three. These are not individually titled, so it's just issue number three of Star Trek Green Lantern The Spectrum War. Came out September of 2015. All the writing, staff, publishing, same, 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 same. Alright, so not quite as many covers as last time. Cover A shows Spock and the Orange Lantern LaFreeze fighting hand-to-hand while Kirk watches behind them. Cover B shows Hal Jordan and Kilowog, who we haven't seen before, so good to see him. And then the subscription cover shows the Green Lantern Guy Gardner, also not seen until now, flying with a green ring while Spock and McCoy uh, are next to him with perhaps uh, blue rings because they both kind of glowing. All right, so the story starts with Hal Jordan and Kirk standing in front of Ganthet's skeleton. Hal Jordan tells Kirk about the War of the Light, which took place in his universe. A character named Necron used the Black Lantern to create an army of the dead to wipe out all the other lantern powers in the universe. Necron was winning when suddenly Hal and perhaps other lanterns found themselves in this dimension and in this time. He also gives a brief explanation as to how the rings work to Ahura and McCoy, who were floating behind the trio. He tells them about the emotional spectrums that each of the ring uses, which we talked about before. On Grenor, Glocon the Gorn is using his red ring of rage. Suddenly, Atrocitus appears and shows the newly appointed Red Lantern the true power of rage. On Romulus... Decius is using his newly acquired orange power to destroy the whole Romulan Senate. Using the power of greed, he proves that he can have it all for himself. Lafreeze arrives and tells the Romulan that he likes the way he thinks, but tells him that the power ring will need to have one of these, referring to an orange battery that he has in his arms. On Kronos, Sinestro is training Chang in the power of the yellow ring of fear. Sinestro tells Chang... More about how the Ring and the other Lanterns arrived on this universe due to Ganthet's attempt to keep the power safe from Necron. Near the Enterprise, Chekhov is flying through space with only the Blue Ring of Hope to keep him from freezing. Chekhov is having the time of his life, but Kirk orders him back into the ship. Hal Jordan contradicts this order, and the two have a heated discussion about the Order of Command. Kirk tries to throw rank, but Jordan points out that he, too, is a captain on his Earth. As Chekhov is flying back to the ship, two other displaced lanterns arrive. Star Sapphire, using the violet power, and a severely injured Saint Walker, who is the leader of the Blue Lantern Corps. Near the Delta Quadrant, Commodore Decker is patrolling in the USS Constellation. Suddenly, the ship is ripped right down the middle by Glacon and Atrocitus. Back on the Enterprise, McCoy is doing his best on St. Walker. He says that his own indigo power ring has informed him that he will be okay. Star Sapphire tells Kirk and Jordan that Necron has also traveled to this universe in search of the last remaining lanterns. 
Near Vulcan, the debris field of the destroyed planet starts to reform itself, and a single word can be heard uttered, rise, to be continued. How spooky! So, uh, we get to see some of the zombie possibilities, the dead rising, the, the right. evil from the other dimension into ours. Ooh. And the fact that we destroyed this planet in Star Trek the movie, and now we're going to have it as a whole planet full of zombies. Right. Zombie Black Lanterns. So, my first reaction to that was like, okay, that seems like actually pulling all the pieces of a planet First, where do you find them all? I don't know. But you pull them all back together again, and then you start raising the dead. That seems like an awful lot of trouble to go to. Can't you go to an intact planet and start raising the dead? I mean, mind you, not only all the dead that were ever on Vulcan are there, but then all the living when the the planet was snuffed out, Mm -hmm. uh, including Spock's mother. So it just seems like an awful lot of trouble to go to. But it's very cool. So we're going to see zombie, you know, Vulcans, I guess. Zombie Vulcans. And I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that his mom shows up. Yeah, that would be something, wouldn't it? Right. And then Spock has to go face-to-face with his mother. That would right. be drama. Yeah, it would be good drama. I'm okay. hoping it happens. And, and something I don't get yet is there's going to be a mixture of just undead zombies that are part of Necron's Legion. But then there's... Some of them are going to be Black Lanterns. They're not all Black Lanterns. I think they're all Black Lanterns. Really? I, I, I might be wrong. I mean, I obviously haven't read these last three issues, and I'm not 100% positive of the War of the Light storyline because I didn't actually read it. Uh-huh. But uh, my understanding was that they were all Black Lanterns because that was kind of how he won was because he was suddenly given an... You know, once he realized he could bring back the dead, he was, you know, he had basically had an unlimited number of. Well, okay, but yeah, but the vast, vast majority of the quote good people in the dimension are unpowered normals, and only a small subset of those people are are lanterns, colored lanterns. Right, but they don't. So, so yeah, uh, if you're going to raise all the undead, which like out outnumber the living by a huge factor and they're all black lanterns holy holy for holies right now i don't think that they i mean when they come back they're not the same person they're they're truly mindless zombies because i mean uh with ring power with ring power right but they're not but even if they were a good person when they were alive doesn't mean they're going to be a good person uh, when they're yeah, a black lantern oh well, yeah i get that okay so uh, all the raised from the dead are going to be bad players under necron's power i get that but the fact that they would all have rings and uh, oh, that's what, I don't know if they not... necessarily have rings. I just think they have the Black Lantern powers. Well, how do you... okay, okay, I'm confused now. I thought the Black Lantern powers, like the violet and the green and whatever, is a they comes from the ring. No, I don't know. Okay, I, I, I'm I'll look it up before next next. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I... I'm asking too many questions. Um, okay, so Commodore Decker and the Constellation. So, you know, um, we're, we're getting to see kind of what happened to the ship and the commander uh, in the Doomsday Machine. 
only in this universe, it ends up getting destroyed by a lantern. Yeah, I like this destruction better. I mean, what? it literally gets ripped in half. Yeah, so they mainly focus on the saucer section in the drawing, which is pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Better than a stinky doomsday machine. A stinky doomsday machine. It just, <laughs> well, at least they stuck around longer. This was pretty much one shot and done. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, again, this is, you know, things like this that are happening that I'm like, how can they, I mean, the whole Romulan Senate destroyed. Yeah. The whole Klingon ruling council destroyed. Yeah. You know, Commodore Decker destroyed. So we can't ever have, you know, it, does that mean Matt Decker already exists in this universe? Did he already have the baby? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but you you can't have a reboot of the Doomsday Machine. Yeah, and right. I mean, well, of, of course, naturally, they're going to have one. So fine. So what you're saying is uh, reset time. Yes, and I don't like it. I hate I hate the reset button. Oh, so do I. But yeah, this that's... is really smacking of... The only way we're going to be able to get out of this is if we just say, it was all a dream, or we reverse time, <laughs> or Superman turned the Earth backwards. You know, Somehow we're going to <laughs> – somehow they're going to just reset the whole thing. And right. I'm not going to like it. Well, neither will I. I hope that's not how it ends. Yeah. But we'll see. Okay. So finally we meet Carol Ferris. There she is. There she is. We see more of her in the next issue, next week. But nice costume. The star in the mm-hmm. center of her oh. costume. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, all the lanterns have, well, the, the different colors have different symbols, right? Right. So the green lanterns definitely have like a lantern kind of thing. But she appropriately has a star, you know, star, sapphire, core, whatever. But... Her symbol is a little different from everybody else's, I think. So that actually is a star-shaped cutout exposing ample cleavage. Is that right? Yes, you are correct. Wow, nice costume. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not quite sure how – she must use the power of the ring to keep her fully in it. But um, <laughs> Exactly. A nice costume. Right. Yeah, Wouldn't this have made a good, mo- good <laughs> addition to the movie? Well, they would have needed an animated costume for her, too. Right. Just she to keep it one. all together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I, I don't like the, the headgear. I'm not crazy about that. But the rest of the costume looks great. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's a very old character that's been around forever. And right. uh, her, her costume has changed quite a bit over the years. Okay. So you said in the last issue that she started out being some kind of a, a, a villain. Right. But she seems clearly aligned with Hal in this. Right. And we'll find out more later. But she she seems to be a good person. Right. Yeah. She she was introduced as a villain. And it was just a one-off thing. She she was the only one kind of thing. And then over the years, coming to find out, she's just one of many. Same as Same as the Green Lanterns. Right, right. Okay, so if the Green Lanterns are supposed to be, you know, the police force or whatever, then what's the function of the Sapphire Corps? Star Sapphire Corps? Well, I don't think the Green Lanterns were originally supposed to be a, a police force, but okay. I think it's the, the the Guardians turned them into that. Well, okay, fine. So they were turned into the police force. 
Right. So what's the function of the Star Sapphire people? They're just supposed to be hanging out, you know, giving love? What? Exactly. I don't know. I don't know if they really have a function. Okay. I, I, I'm sure there's going to be somebody that knows – that actually reads the books and will know all the answers that I don't know. Okay, okay. But okay, I personally okay. don't know. Okay. okay. <laughs> like I said, all I know is that the Blue Lanterns are monks sitting off on a planet, you know, praying or whatever. I mean even the main Blue Lantern, his name is Saint Walker. Right. And then I know that the Yellow Lantern is greedy, takes it all. Yeah. And, and really only the the – Orange Yellow Lantern greedy. and the and the Green Lanterns are the only ones that are out in the galaxy doing stuff. Oh. Atrocitus was kind of like in his own part of the galaxy that the Green Lantern has just kind of given up on. They're like, oh, he's too bad. We'll just keep him in this part of the galaxy, and he can do whatever he wants to. And as long as he doesn't come over, right. we'll let him do whatever he wants. A containment policy. Exactly. A neutral zone, if you will. Yeah, okay, cool. Okay. Um, but uh, to be honest, even though she's the oldest character, I don't – I don't really know what the other sapphire or whatever her color is supposed to be, pink, uh, whatever uh, the other pink lanterns are doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind but, of a reddish pink kind of thing. All right. So some more homework for me to do. Okay. There you go. So Captain Hal Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of forgot about that. So cool. I'm kind of wondering why Kirk doesn't say anything about NASA. Yeah. Uh, like Hal, Hal Jordan mentions NASA. He even mentions the U.S. Air Force. And Kirk says nothing. He doesn't say he doesn't acknowledge that. Oh, wow! You're from our past. Yeah, we used to have a NASA and we used to have a U.S. Air Force, and uh, yeah. Okay, good point. So they've not, they haven't put two and two together that they're from two different timelines. That they're from two different. They have times. not acknowledged that at all. They know they're from two different universes, but not two different times. Yeah. Huh. Well, good point. I hadn't so even thought about that. And another thing concerning time, why is Ganthet a skeleton? Was he stuck on that frozen rock so long that eventually he died and his skin was, you know, uh, just wore off uh, with decomposition? That's the way I took it, that he'd been on that. I I took it that, you know, in the 2000s, 15 probably, (laughs) he, he did that. Beamed himself over, and he'd been sitting on that planet, you know, up until the time Kirk. Okay, okay, Kirk okay. Two hundred years later. Okay, so, but everybody else coming over from the other dimension, uh, swept over by last light, they seem like they just got there, or at least if they didn't just get there, they have not been there two hundred years. Right. So uh, I took it that um, I took it that the it was when the Takeons got put into the rings that then started the last light protocol which brought them forward in time and to the other universe that's the way i took it so for Uh, them they went straight from 2015 to 23 whatever we're supposed to be in here okay i mean just because because they use the word tacky on at one point doesn't explain everything but Okay. Uh, no. So, well, he okay. said when the rings became active is when the last light protocol kicked in. Yeah. I think that's said somewhere. Well, well, okay, but I thought the last light protocol happened at the same time that Ganeth and the planet and the rings were swept into uh, another dimension. I thought that same last light sweeping took everybody over. Now, mind you, they seem to be deposited in the different places locations within our dimension 
and I'm saying our dimension, Star Trek dimension. Star Trek universe. Um, I, I did not know there was like a difference. They didn't come all come over in the same sweeping last light, whatever. Uh, well, the way I took it, Ganthet, Ganthet teleported himself over, and then once he and, was, and that, that wasn't actually part of the last light protocol. And then he he set it up so that when the rings became active, that's when the last light would have pulled them out of time and into the time wherever they were activated. But I don't know. I mean, that, that's just the way I I interpreted it. Okay. Well, it's it's a better explanation than I have, but I'm still not 100 percent buying it. But yeah, okay, cool. Uh, or I mean, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe him going forward in time, or maybe he didn't actually go. For- I mean, he obviously went forward in time because there are two different dates. But when he went forward in time, all the other lanterns came as well, and the power strain, you know, turned him into a skeleton. <laughs> That's another possibility. Who knows? Okay, okay. I just, uh, I just thought that they said that it, it didn't. He didn't get pulled over until the. Rings became active, but well, who Ganthet? I thought uh, Lan- uh, Green Lantern said that. Okay. Well, I thought. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. Um. I, well, that would explain why everybody's just popping up at one, you know, at the same time. Okay, so uh, we talked about Cover Decker. Um. So it did show that, in, and there was a little flashback of the the fight between the the Black Lanterns and the other Lanterns. Okay. Didn't really talk about, but I, I like the way they depicted Necron being huge. Yeah. And yeah, the Black so, Lantern being a sickle type thing. Right. Would be on the cover. No, on the the two page spread, uh, second page where they're all fighting each other. Right. Yeah, I, I there's so many things going on. Oh yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Upper left hand corner. Right. Yeah, he is he's almost like Godzilla or something standing above everybody and Yeah, that's a that's a nice I, I like two page spreads like that. A lot of stuff going on. So right. we're seeing what's the name of that big green lantern guy? That looks like a pig? Kilowog. Okay, so we see Kilowog in in the mix there. There's another Green Lantern that looks like um, – who, who's the other Green Lantern that came in and replaced Hal Jordan for a while? Uh, the, the, the one with the red hair? No. Uh, it, Guy it, Gardner the, or the black guy? The, the black guy. Uh, John Stewart. John Stewart. Okay. So John Stewart, really? Yeah. Okay. And then he became a talk show host. Okay. So they got him in there. And yeah, Guy, guy Gardner. Okay. So yeah. they got him They got him in there. Right. Um, and we see other uh, Green Lantern and other Lanterns. Pretty cool. Lots right. of Right. I kept trying to go through the Black Lanterns and try to find um, – because in the story arc, they had um, – and again, I think we talked about this offline, but, uh, but maybe we talked about it online. But um, they did this War of Light or, or a War of Light that brought in all the Black Lanterns uh, right. before DC did their big reboot. And in that one, they had, uh, you know, like a zombie Superman, a zombie Aquaman, a zombie everybody else that had died, you know, at some point were coming back as um, Black Lanterns. So I don't know if this is supposed to be during that timeline, which would be before, you know, even the Green Lantern movie came out. uh, Mm -hmm. So to kind of gauge its timeline or it's supposed to be some war that's happened after the reboot. But I don't know. But I was looking through here trying to find 
uh, you know, like a, a Green Lantern or a Black Lantern, Superman or Aquaman or somebody I knew, but I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It pretty much just has Necron, a bunch of nameless, faceless, uh, dark and black and gray people, bad zombie guys, one, zombie aliens. There you go. Uh, and then uh, you know a mixture of lanterns, right? Non-black lanterns. Huh, interesting. Okay, um, I really don't have anything else to say about this one. Oh, I, I will say one thing though before we 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 go out. Um, Spock hasn't done all that much, and Sulu hasn't done anything. Is Sulu ha- has he even been in it? At well, least he, he, Spock he's... had a couple of lines. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that he said anything. Obviously, we've seen him at at the, uh, you know, the pilot station on the bridge. But other than that, I no, not much. I hadn't even noticed him there. Uh, and Carol, Fer- uh, Carol, um, Marcus. Oh him. no, nowhere to be seen. No, no. Good point. I wonder if we're going to see her. I don't know if we haven't seen her yet. Hmm. Right. Good point. Yeah, I thought it was odd that. Uh, that uh, you know the security officer Zara got she was actually in the issue and she got named in the issue, but so many of the other mainstays have not even been not even visually seen. Remember right. in the first issue, Zara was in there. She yeah. she found Gantt. Yep. Good point. Well, there's just so many people you can fit in, I suppose. And the fact that even Sulu, who is a pretty important character, is not getting much, uh, not getting many lines, maybe underscores the fact there's only so many people you can fit in. Right, especially when you keep bringing in all these lanterns. Exactly. Exactly. I so. think the lantern characters might be outnumbering the Star Trek characters here pretty yep. soon. Yep. If all these covers that show, you know, Guy Gardner and uh, Kilowog can be trusted. Mm hmm. All right, my last comment, uh, I think, is I really didn't like the uh, Chekhov zooming around on a Blue Lantern-created jetpack. <laughs> you don't like the jetpack? No, I really didn't. Well, it, uh, he seems to be picking things up pretty quick. And I oh, think, yeah. And I think the idea that he's, like, not out there, like, just with mastery of how to fly outside of a ship is is kind of good in a way but yeah the jetpack looks kind of kind of retro doesn't it it's got like uh sharp cone tips on the top right yeah yeah so i mean it's kind of like you know is that in his mind he needed something like that to be right. able to fly because technically he doesn't but yeah maybe that was his way of wrapping his head around it yeah but but he doesn't know how to i mean He's still learning. He doesn't know how to fly. He's I mean, a young pup. Well, not only that, I mean, remember at least with um, with Green Lantern, at least in the movie, which I think was a fine film. Not as good as it could have been, but um, at least there was some training going on. Because you don't go from normal human to ring bearer that can do virtually anything if he puts his mind to it. I mean, that doesn't just ping happen. Right. Although we're going to see some amazing things coming up with in in the next issue. Oh no. I think it's the next or maybe it's the fifth issue where Ohura and Chekhov seem to be catching on pretty quick with absolutely <laughs> no training <laughs> as near nice. as you can tell. Anyway, so 
Well, I wouldn't mind seeing Ahura doing something because right now all she does is kind of float in the background. Right. Literally float. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, actually, she ends up doing something very important. All right. I can't wait to read those. Yes. And that's the first time she's actually useful. Well, no. Uh, she actually does her comm station thing. Even after she got the powers? Even after she got the powers. Hmm. So she, she is con- contributing in the coming issues. But... Okay. Good. So pretty good. Pretty cool. Like I say again, mixing the kind of fantastical Green Lantern world with the somewhat a little more semi-realistic Star Trek universe is taking me back a little bit. A little uncomfortable with it, but I'm digging it. I'm digging the story. Yeah, I'm liking it so far. I hope hope it keeps up. Yeah. All right, then. I guess we will uh, be back next week with finishing this off. Sounds wonderful. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. On the review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.